Happy Valentine's Day. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully uh, all the guys in here, you knew it was Valentine's Day. If, if you're uh, either here on the Candago campus, online community, or Hopewell campus, if you're watching online throughout the week and you forgot Valentine's Day, uh, now you know you forgot it. And uh, good news is you can probably buy what we bought for half price today. So go and uh, go ahead and get your Valentine's, and uh, I'm sure you'll still appreciate it. Do you remember those little, I don't know if they still make the little candy hearts and they'd have words on them? They still make those things? Can't believe it, they're so nasty. But, um, but, but I think if God were to give us one today, it would be be mine. Be mine. I mean, as we look at Romans, uh, the entire book, but especially as we've head into the second section of the book, coming in from Romans 12, um, where he says, you know, be a living sacrifice, Paul writes, to give ourselves to God. Be mine, God says. Be mine. I'll be able to transform you from the inside out. And that's that, that, those words from Romans 12, 1 and 2, again, really sets the foundation for all that Paul writes from Romans 12 to 16 to the rest of the, to the end of the book that we're looking at right now. We'll be in Romans 13 this morning. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn there or go to your phones. That's what we're going to be looking at. But before we jump into Romans 13, we're going to talk a little bit about flags. Yeah, I said flags. Stick with me for a minute. People, for as far as we can tell historically, for 4,000 years or so, have used flags. The first flags that we know of uh, have been called vexiloids. So it comes from the Latin, which means to guide. And, and a flag, of course, is used by a person or people as a symbol of informing others of who they are. And, and, and this was important, especially in the early days of battle when, when the knights would be in their armor. You couldn't tell each other apart many times, and so they would use flags to differentiate friend from foe. Today, every country in the world, every country in the world has a flag. One of the names of God we find in the Old Testament is Jehovah Nisi, which means the Lord is our banner or the Lord is our flag. Moses uses this after a particular battle that the Lord gave them victory over an enemy. And he cries out and prays to Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah my banner, Jehovah my flag. And in the old days, days of battle, when, when someone of particular prowess would come on the field with their, with their flag, it would bring fear into an enemy's heart to realize that they're here and that who they are. And, I was thinking as we, as we enter into the message this morning, and I was praying over us as a church body, I thought, you know, as believers, what do we have to fear when God is our banner? What do we have to fear when God is our flag? And, and, and this morning, we're going to be looking at, really, uh, the three flags that we live under. And you go, what are you talking about? Well, stick with me here, okay? Three flags. The first one is this, the flag of God's kingdom. As a believer, I'm under the flag of God's kingdom, and I, I'm... I'm first and foremost a citizen of heaven, right, church? That when we come to Christ, we belong to him. We belong to his kingdom. And it's this citizenship that really empowers me to be able to fulfill the responsibility of the other two flags that exist in my life. The, the second flag, then, is, is my flag of my earthly citizenship. As a believer, I live under the country's flag where I am an earthly citizen. As an American, I live under the American flag. And as a Christian, especially as a believer... I want to make sure that I'm living under that responsibility in a way that honors God. And then I'd say there's a third flag, and that's what I'll call the missional country flag. What do I mean by that? Well, some of us, God will call to another country to serve him. Some of us, like most of us in this room, we, our missional flag is the same flag that we have our earthly citizenship. It's right here in America. But others may have a missional country, such as Zambia or Nicaragua, and that flag they also want to uphold in a Christ-like manner. Now, all of this may sound confusing, but 
But look at what Paul writes in Romans 13. As we explore it, you'll see it's not as confusing as it seems. While God calls us to live his heavenly values amid the world, we must recognize that God has not abandoned the world. And God is active in the world, and he challenges us to be as well. And so it's interesting, on this Valentine's Sunday, uh, that Paul's going to teach us this principle called love. This principle called love, and how that word love allows us to live under the flag of our, of our heavenly kingdom, citizen of heaven, under the flag of our citizenship, uh, our country of citizenship, and then under the flag of our, our missional calling. And so Paul has a great deal to write about this. And of course, once again, it's all under the foundation of Romans 12, 1 and 2. How do we, how do we juggle all these things? Well, we don't juggle them. We come to God, and because of all that he's done for us, offering us salvation in Christ and this amazing life of transformation, what's the reasonable thing to do? Well, we give ourselves to him. He says, be mine, and we say, we're yours. And then what does he do? Well, through collaborating with his spirit, he transforms us. He says, don't be molded to the pattern of the world, but be molded from within into the pattern of Christ. Becoming more like Jesus in his character, in his love, in his purpose, in his priorities. And as we give ourselves to God in that way, he allows us to, to really live a godly life today. And that impacts us as citizens of these three flags. So let's begin and look at what does Paul say about the Christian and their government? Romans 13, 1 through 8. It reads this way. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers, do not, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, the one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because, for because of this, you also pay taxes. Yeah, Paul goes there. For because of this, you, may also, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what you owe them. Taxes to whom you owe taxes, revenue to whom you owe revenue, respect to those from whom you owe respect, honor to those from whom you owe honor, and, and owe nothing to anyone except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now that's a mouthful, but I want to say a couple of things about the context in which Paul's writing this so we can understand how he's writing these things. First of all, he's writing in a sense of an ideal government that if a government is really seeking God's will for the people in which they've been given authority over, then we would understand that they reward the good and they punish the bad. But we know there's governments in the world that don't do that. There are governments in the world who punish the good and, and certainly lift up the bad. And so Paul's not writing that all governments are good, but he is making a very clear point that no matter whether a government is good or not, God is the ultimate authority even over that government. I love the fact that in the Old Testament, God will call a, a nation like Babylon or a nation like Egypt my servant. He says, you're my servant, and I'm going to use you to fulfill my, my goal. Now understand as Babylon and Egypt, neither one of them fo were followers of God. And, and I think that's true today, right? Someone says, well, I'm a follower of God. Let me let you in on a little secret. Whether you're a follower of Christ or not, 
he is still over you. Like he's still Lord. Like when everything's said and done, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Why not do it now instead of later? Why not receive the blessings of doing it now instead of later? But, but I don't want to divert from our purpose part this morning as we talk about government right now. Uh, why else does Paul mention this? Well, believe it or not, this may surprise you, but in Rome, during the time Paul wrote this letter, the Roman people were upset with taxes. Does that blow your mind? Because we, we're way beyond that, right? And, and Paul was concerned because there were riots in the streets. There, there, there was a lot of action that were not Christ-like toward this, okay? Uh, now understand this, in the republic in which we live, we are able to peacefully protest against anything we don't think is right. In fact, we're able to protest against things peacefully, peacefully that, that may not even make sense. I mean, we have freedoms in this country. We have freedom to say things that make sense, freedom to say things that don't. We're able to do all these things peacefully. You see what I keep saying there? Come on, church. Peacefully. peacefully. And, and that's important to keep in mind. Well, that's what Paul's writing about. He's not writing saying you have no right to be upset with these taxes that are happening in Rome. What he's saying is don't lose sight of your primary purpose, which is what? To know God and make him known. And you say it's okay about being political, but when your politics overstep your faith, you're going to get weird. <laughs> Come on, I'm not telling you anything new in 2021, am I? We could be here all afternoon. I don't care what side you're on. If you put your politics before your faith, you're weird. And God is challenging us through Paul to say, put your faith before your politics because your salvation is in Christ, not in any person. And he's scared that the church, he's concerned that the church may get wacky. And so he's saying, listen, Jesus was asked about taxes. You do realize that, right? They're the words that some of us that believe in total freedom would like to not heard. Give the Caesar what is and that God what is. By the way, we have freedom in this country as a republic to stand up against the taxes. Let's do it. <clears throat> We're there. <laughs> the other context in which Paul's writing this is, is, is because he's already talked about that vengeance is God's. And he's saying sometimes God uses governments to do this. And he's saying, understand there's some laws that you need to follow. Just because you're a citizen of heaven doesn't mean you don't follow the laws that are here on earth. Let me give you a practical for instance. If you're driving 70 miles an hour down the road and the speed limit's 55 and an officer pulls you over, don't get upset with the police officer. He said, well, I was only going 70. He goes, well, you're supposed to be going 55. And you're going to get a ticket. And if you're smart, you'll say, thank you, sir. Have a nice day. <laughs> and Paul's saying, understand this, understand this. He's saying, you know, to make sure. The third thing, understand in context. So what does he say in Romans Chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. And he wants us to understand that not being conformed to the pattern of the world doesn't mean we don't still live in it. See the importance there? We're still living in this world. And he doesn't want us to vacate ourselves because we're God's hand and feet in this world. So when we're tempted to look at the world and say, well, where is God in that situation? The quick answer is, if you're there, you are God's hands and feet in that situation. Do something good. Be the answer. Be the solution. Show the love of God. And so Paul in this context is, is not saying that all government is good. He's saying that God is over government and, and, and that we, we are to be subject to the governments that we find ourselves under. To be subject means recognize that there's a hierarchy that exists, that we stand under those, those rules. 
normally, and again, I say normally, therefore submission to authority is, is, is what Paul's calling us to. It's what the scripture calls us to. But in all of Paul's writings, he doesn't say it explicitly here in, in, in Romans chapter 13, but in all of Paul's writings, if we take it as a whole and the Bible as a whole, we're to understand that although we're under a government system, and by the way, we're under different systems in workplaces too. We have people over us all throughout life, children to parents, you get what I'm saying. But as we look at government, that God is over them. We can't lose focus that God is over them. God stands on top of the hierarchy. So we must note then that there's a difference between being subject to, to the government and abject obedience to the government. That's so important. For instance, we, 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 we need to understand that when, when Paul's writing this, that we really live for God's authority over the government's authority. Like right now, I have the freedom in this country, and I'm so thankful for it, to preach the word of God from cover to cover. Like, like we can go through the book of Romans, and I don't have one part of Romans that makes it illegal for me to preach as a United States citizen. Now, we were grown up, we, most, of, most of us in this room have grown up under that, and that seems like it's, it's obvious. You do realize we have brothers and sisters in Christ, it's illegal to do what we're doing here this morning. And we have brothers and sisters in Christ in different parts of the world, but their pastor, even if it's legal for them to meet, has certain things they can preach about and certain things they can't preach about. That we have brothers and sisters in Christ in parts of the world that just owning a Bible could be a death sentence. Can you believe that? It's 2021. And I want to stand here and just let you know that as, as a pastor, not just your pastor, but as a pastor, that I'm going to preach cover to cover whether my government says I can do it or not. I mean, I'm going to. I, I am. And, 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 and you don't have to applaud that. It's just my call. It's your call too. You're going to do the same thing. If they say you can't have a Bible, you're going to say, well, I'm sorry, I'm going to have my Bible. And you say, well, what's the scriptural precedence of that? I'm glad you asked. Very early in the church's history, Peter and the crew were put in prison simply because they're Christians. You may remember their accounts uh, given to us in the book of Acts. And they're called before the Sanhedrin, which is the elders of the people of Israel. So it's sort of the, the hierarchy there. And, and they say to Peter and the crew, they say, here's the thing. We're not going to keep you in prison. You're our people. But you can't preach the gospel anymore. Like, you can't preach the gospel in Jesus' name. You can't do it. And Peter and the crew, they, they look at the Sanhedrin. And, and remember, Peter, I, I just have to point this out. Not many weeks earlier had denied Christ. Like, this is the same guy, right? Like, do you know Jesus? No, I don't know him. Even curses, like, to sort of set him off the scent, you know? And, and I don't know him. And, and now here he is before the Sanhedrin, the ruling body, and they say, you can't preach the gospel. What's he say to them? They say that to the ruling body, they say, listen, we've got to obey God rather than man. God rather than man. And so as long as your laws are just, we're with you. Like, we'll be the best citizens in the world. But if it violates God's rules, we're going to choose God over man, no matter what the consequences. Peter gave his life for that stance. Peter, who denied Christ later, gave his life for that stance. And, and so Christians are to submit to the laws of the land as long as they don't violate the laws of God. That we need to stand up for justice as believers. We need to stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves. We, we need to allow the and Paul's going to share with us sort of how we can govern ourselves in this way, but we need to stand up for those things which matter. And as God's church, we have to be a voice for truth. 
always for truth. But as long as we can be in alignment with the government over us, well, we're going we're gonna to do exactly what they say, but when they ask us to violate Scripture, that's the only place we have to say, look, violate God rather than man. I mean, you, we have to listen to God rather than man. Look again at verse 8, Romans 13, 8. I love this journey Paul takes us through. Owe nothing to anyone except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And, and the Bible really instructs us on a great deal of, of, of this idea of debt. And Paul's speaking of two types of debt here. I love what he does. The first debt is this. He says, don't owe anyone anything. And this is not a statement against all debt as we look at the whole of Scripture, but it is a statement cautioning us on the debt we carry. And we understand that the Scripture tells us that the, but the lender really uh, rules over the one who lend, who's lend money to, that there's a bondage that happens. And so it's not talking about not all debt, but it's saying, listen, make sure if you have debt that you're able to repay it. And the Bible does instruct us to have as little debt as possible because debt-free living is the goal. Think about that. Debt-free living is the goal. In fact, in, in the Old Testament, we find that God sets up the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee is the 50th year after seven consecutive years of seven years. Okay? And, and, and the year of Jubilee was where every, all the balances went back to zero. It's interesting. So if your family owed money, you went back to zero. Now, why was that? Well, because it shows that God really, really, really wants people to live free in every arena of life. And it was a way for those who, because of misfortune or bad decisions, were able to have like a restart in their family. And it just states the, the importance here that we don't owe anything to anyone if we don't have to. And then it's like Paul says, but wait a minute, wait a minute. There is one thing. Owe love to everyone. Owe love to everyone. In fact, this is sort of a bridge between this section on finances and this section on the way we relate to other people uh, because if you really love somebody, then you're going to pay back what you owe them. Help me out this morning. I feel like it's getting quiet. We'll be responsible. We'll live up to the word of what we made there. But we're, we're to love everyone. It's the Christian citizens to honor their citizenship of God's kingdom by being an example of godly citizenship under flag in which you're an earthly citizen. That's a very worldly way of saying that Christians should be the best citizens. The best citizens. Like the example of citizenship. Not in the sense of doing what we not, what ought not to do, but in honoring God, we're really honoring those around us. Now, Paul continues to talk about Christian citizenship. Look at verses 8 through 10. Again, 8. We've already looked at, but let's read in context of 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So the Christian is duty-bound to love everyone. Paul wrote it this way, all the way back in Romans 1.14. He's not asking us to do something he hasn't already surrendered himself to do. He writes, I am under obligation both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. In other words, what was he talking about there? He says, I am called to love everybody by sharing the truth of the gospel and by um, doing acts of good deeds. And, and so we're all obligated to do what? To lovingly, to lovingly share the gospel in word and deed, not just in what we say, but in how we live. And, and I love what Paul does here. Because in the Old Testament, there's 613 Mosaic commandments. That's why you, you may have heard me say this before. When people say the, the Bible is a book of do's and don'ts, so I've heard uh, preachers say, well, no, it's really not. They're not right. It is. 
There's a ton of do and don'ts in the Bible. It's not primarily about do's and don'ts, but there's tons of do's and don'ts in the Bible. There's 613 Mosaic commandments, and that doesn't mention all the others. But how do you, how do you memorize all that? Well, Paul does something. He gives us a cheat sheet, so to speak. In fact, uh, by the way, if you're a student, read every book you're supposed to read, but one of the books I loved was called Cliff. Cliff Notes. He was one of my favorite. And even if I read the book, I'd, I'd go to old Cliff and see what he had to say. And that was like a real big thing. Paul gives us a cliff note. He says, if you want to keep all 613 commandments, in fact, if you want to keep all the do's and don'ts, but all you need to do is say, ask this one question. Is it showing love to God and others? If it's showing God, love to God and others, you're fulfilling the commandment. You're, you're fulfilling the commandments. So there's our cheat sheet as believers. You don't have to memorize all the commandments. Just memorize the one. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart. Everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. You've done that. You've fulfilled everything in Scripture. And you say, well, why does there do notes in Bibles? Well, God gives us a parameter of safety in order to live in freedom. Freedom doesn't exist without some parameter of safety, right? Like you want your kids to be free, but you don't want them to walk off the edge of a, of a cliff. And we say, well, why'd you let them do that? Well, I wanted them to be free. Well, God doesn't want us to walk off the cliff either. So as scripture gives us a parameter of safety. But if you want to know how to stay in the midst of that parameter of safety, is ask the question, is it showing love to God? Is it showing love to my neighbor? Remember Jesus' parable where he speaks of the Lord separating the people from the, the sheep and the goats. And he says that the sheep are those who showed love to others. And as they showed love to others, they were showing love to him. The goats were those who weren't showing love to others and therefore they weren't showing love to him. And he said, I don't even know them. In fact, in his own words, Jesus proclaims, I tell you the truth, whatever you do for the least of these, you did for me. And whatever you do not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Think about that. Loving one another. By the way, we're going to look at this more over the next three, three weeks. But it's not just loving those we agree with, those who we think have the best views in the world. It's, it's loving those who are even our enemies. It's loving those who have views that we think is a little crazy. It's loving, not agreeing, loving. Loving. And loving one's fellow human being, one is actually expressing love to God. And, and we don't love to earn anything. We don't love to, in order, in other words, we don't follow the commandment of love in order to be saved. We're saved purely because Jesus Christ died for our sins. Right, church? We don't love because that in some way makes us more like Jesus. We love because we're becoming more like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. See the difference? One is my strength. Sometimes as believers, we, we feel like we, we came to Christ purely by Christ, but we become Christ, but like Christ purely by our effort. And we get frustrated. Ever been there? And just as we needed Jesus to be saved, we need Jesus to become like him. And so God has given us his spirit. But, but, but be like Jesus, we must. James 2.18, I love this. He, James is writing, he says, Now, someone may argue, some people have faith and so others have good deeds. What an argument, huh? And I say, James writes, I can't see your faith if you don't have good deeds, but I'll show you my faith through my good deeds. Isn't that a beautiful way of saying it? Isn't that what God did? God said, I love you. And he said, but listen, I'm going to show you I love you. He died on the cross for us. And he says, don't just tell people you love them. Show them you love them. Love is the essence of Christian ethic. Love is so important, so foundational, that it can take the place of all the other commandments. And Christian citizens can really honor, when you think about the three flags that 
heavenly citizenship, earthly citizenship, missional call, can honor the three flags simply by living under the law of love. And then what does Paul do? He says, look, the time is at hand. Look at verses 11 through 14. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us than we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. There's a list again. Verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ to make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Paul's using some imagery here that makes sense to us, but really made sense in context to who he was writing 2,000 years ago. And 2,000 years ago, there weren't many city lights. And so when they would talk about bad deeds, they would talk about it as night. Because you could do whatever you want in night under cover of darkness, and good things happen during the day. Now, we all understand bad things happen during the day, and good things can happen at night. But this was the imagery in which they would have understood the original readers. So he says, what, get away? Don't do the deeds of darkness. Do what's done in the daylight. And then he's talking about the dark world in which we live. How many of you guys realize we still live in quite a dark world? He says, put on the armor of light. Isn't that interesting imagery? This is that picture of once you put it on, the darkness flees, right? Well, what is the armor of light? Well, a couple of sentences down, he actually describes it to us. He says, clothe yourselves in Jesus Christ. Think about that for a minute. Clothe yourselves in Jesus Christ. What a picture. Like, put Jesus on. You know, think about that. What's that mean to cover ourselves with Jesus? Well, go back to Romans 12, 1 and 2. You say, are you going to go back to Romans 12, 1 and 2? Yeah, for the next four weeks. Romans 12, 1 and 2. What is the reasonable response to a God who has offered us salvation? We give ourselves to him. And we collaborate with his spirit that he remolds us from the inside out into the character of Christ, the, the love of Christ, the purpose and priorities of Christ. But it's the work that God does within us. And so citizens, Christian citizens, will honor the three flags of their lives when they're alert, morally sensitive, and on the guard against immorality, knowing that Christ will return. And he talks about that the, the, we're closer to salvation and the day is at hand. And he wrote this 2,000 years ago. And so we look at it in context and go, well, it's been 2,000 years. But Paul is right, and the scriptural writing is always right. No matter when Christ comes back, we're a day closer today. We're a day closer today. And he says, you just don't know when he's going to come back. And he says, don't you want to sort of be about like his business when he comes back? Now, now he's not writing it in this way. When I, when, I, my, when I got old enough to stay home alone, and especially when I got old enough to stay alone, home alone with my brother, which I'm sure we were actually never old enough to do that, but my parents thought we were, um, they, they would go out and then we would do our stuff, right? And, and there's a lot of stories that we did of things that I won't even share because no one should do some of these things. But, but we would do these things. And then one of us would say, when do you think mom and dad's going to come be back? And like, it was like, whoa! And we'd go and clean up the whole house, right? And they would come back and they would go, wow, you're such good kids and we can go out and not have to worry. They should have been worried. But they didn't know it and it was good. They didn't know it. It was, it was good. And, 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 and that's not what Paul's talking about. I saw a, a bumper sticker there, David says, you know, look, uh, Jesus is coming back. Everyone look busy. Right? That's not what Paul's talking about. What he's talking about is if we really have been mature enough to be left alone, if we really have been mature enough to be left alone, 
we would have lived from when they left knowing they were coming back. Doing the right stuff simply out of love. Now, I think I would do that now. You know, I'm a lot older, but, but I, I was immature then. And so Paul is saying, be mature. Fall in love with Jesus. Don't do these things because you have to do them. Don't do it because you want to get caught not doing them. Don't do it out of fear. Remember Paul wrote, there's, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Romans 8. He, he, says, he says what? Just, just do it because you love God and you love others. Because the day of our salvation is closer today than it's ever. I mean, when we think about it, what an amazing call. He says, live godly today. Carry these flags today. And how do we do it? Let's review again. We do it because in Romans 12, 1 and 2, we give ourselves to God. Remember, God, if he's going to give us a heart, he would say what? Be mine. Be God's. Give yourself to him and, and, and collaborate with his spirit. He says, let me transform you from the inside out. Don't try to do this on your own strength. Don't be overwhelmed by this task. Allow me to wash my love over you. So much so that just the overflow of it is us loving others. And how does this manifest itself when we're talking about these three flags? We'll, we'll, we'll submit to the governing authorities as much as we can submit to them. We're going to honor them. We're going to be the best citizens we can be. We're going to stand up for truth. We're going we're to do those things. We can write letters. We can peacefully protest. We can do all that stuff peacefully. But it's going to be out of love and for love. And when we stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves, we do it because we love them and because we love God. Not out of anger, not out of vengeance, but out of love. How else does it manifest itself? What's well, just practically loving other people, clothing ourselves in Jesus. But the church will be an example of Christ's love. In just a moment, we're going to take part in a time of remembrance, communion. Remember what Christ has done for us. And he says, as I have loved you, go and love others. Practically love others. And my prayer is as we've gathered here this morning and celebrated the love of God and his truth, that as we scatter throughout this region, that we'll be ambassadors of that love and truth to those around. People need the hope of God, church. They need to know the love of Christ, and they need to know the truth of God's word. To think that we could live apart from this and live in freedom is a lie of the enemy. These do's and don'ts are not to steal freedom from us. They're to grant freedom to us. We're not under the law anymore. But let me tell you, we're under love. (laughs) Love God, love others. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for just the privilege of gathering here. I agree with uh, Pastor Dave as he prayed earlier that I, I, I find myself overwhelmed that I live in a country with such freedom where I know where much is given, much is expected. And so I don't take for granted that every weekend we get to come here together, gathering as a church family and that through technology we can do it online. And so thankful for our Hopewell campus that they get to also be able to celebrate with us your love that you didn't just tell us you loved us you showed it and Lord this journey we're talking about of living under these three flags really starts with coming to know you if there's anyone in this on this campus hope well on online Lord God who's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior I pray that even now in the quietness of their heart that they would thank you for dying for their sins and being resurrected for their salvation that they would receive you as the Savior and Lord of their life that you would direct their steps. 
And Lord, for any of us in this room who have already made that decision, in a moment, we're going to remember. We're going to remember the sacrifice that you paid out of love so we could live in freedom. And we thank you that you didn't just die for us, but you're a living Savior. The one who's given us your spirit to indwell us, to give us the power to love. And Lord, teach us what it means to love you and others in such a powerful way. Not to earn anything, not out of fear, just out of the joy of being yours. As you've loved us, help us love others, I pray. So we can uh, honor you in everything we say and everything we do. And Lord, thank you that when we drop the ball, that you're so quick to, to just be there, pick us up and say, keep walking with me. My journey with you hasn't been perfect, not because you're not perfect, but because I'm still being perfected. So thank you for not giving up on me and allowing me to continue to walk with you in this loving relationship. And I thank you for each of my brothers and sisters and the sound of my voice who are doing the same. God, help us live for you so that others will come to find you. In Jesus' name, amen.